Welcome to Therapeutic Perspective. My name is Sarah Dynan, and I will be your host. Each episode, our goal is to educate clinicians on current issues presented in society and feature specialists that can help us to navigate these issues. As a licensed professional counselor in private practice in Northeast Pennsylvania, with over a decade in the field, I am always wanting to learn more to better serve my clients. Especially as things in society evolve and change, I believe we need better access to current information. Therapeutic Perspective is a continuing education provider, so stay tuned to the end of the show to hear how you can obtain NBCC continuing education credit hours for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoy. Hey, welcome to Therapeutic Perspective. I am your host, Sarah Dynan. As we're recording the show in December of 2021, we are in the midst of what is being called the Great Resignation. The Great Resignation is a mass exodus of individuals leaving their jobs in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. In August of 2021, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics announced that 4.3 million Americans quit their jobs. It is obvious that with this staggering statistic in our offices, mental health clinicians are inevitably seeing this contemplation of leaving a job discussed in session. I reached out to our guest today because I think we could all use a deeper dive into career counseling so that we can effectively treat those in need. Career counseling is one of those core competencies that is needed to be a licensed clinician in the United States. So many of us have a basic understanding of the importance of career and its effect on a client's mental state as well as assessments that can be used for career exploration. But I think for those of us who aren't specialized in career counseling, we need to lean into our skill set a little bit more to help us during this climate. So to help us learn a bit more, I have Dr. Sharon Givens. She's the president of the National Career Development Association, also referred to as NCDA. She comes to us with a tremendous amount of experience, and I'm so honored that she agreed to come on the show. Sharon has an undergraduate degree in social work with a minor in psychology. She has a graduate certificate in psychiatric rehabilitation. She has a master of science in counseling and a master of education in adult education. Sharon also has a doctorate in curriculum and instruction with a cognate in counseling. Sharon was the recipient of the Lauren Anderson Award for doctoral research. She has over 15 years of experience in the career development field with roles including a career counselor, college and career readiness project director, mentor, career coach, and director of career development training. As a career and college readiness project director in her home state of South Carolina, she has developed two major career development infrastructures that has enabled over 20,000 students across the state attend college or obtain successful employment. How exciting is this? We have like the best of the best on the show today. So without further delay, let's get started. Welcome to the show, Dr. Givens. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah. I'm certainly, certainly happy to be here. We are so glad to have you. Um, But can you start with us a little bit about your role at NCDA and the path that you took to get to this role. Absolutely. 
Um, so I'm actually the president of the National Career Development Association, and it is the largest career development association in the world. And we have members, of course, um, within the United States, but also 30 other, at least 30 other countries. Um, and our membership consists of career counselors, uh, counselor educators, uh, K through 12 career specialists, and then people like me who are in private practice, um, and also individuals who work at universities and career centers. So the path to here, one I would say is probably very complex, but certainly very rewarding um, because I started my journey in terms of career development and working with K through 12 and actually developing infrastructures for career and college readiness, particularly for students who lived in poverty and students who were first generation. Um, and so I've always had a love for career development, even as a counselor and helping individuals with their work. Um, and I just really wanted to make that, I guess, a little more formal and actually establish myself as a true career counselor. But along the way, I became a counselor educator where I actually prepared other counselors, which was very, very rewarding. Um, and having them to focus more in the career development area. I actually instituted a full certification, career development certification within the counselor ed program. And then I decided to go back to practice and my specialty is integrating career development um, and mental health. I became involved and made NCDA my home several years ago based on the resources and the other career development experts. I thought this would be the perfect place for me to develop and grow as well. Um, I, I started facilitating their career development training programs and then started to help them develop their training programs. Started to participate on committees and councils, and now here I am. Very cool. So it seems like throughout your career, you've always had this passion to for career development. So let's talk about what you've been seeing recently with the great resignation and response to the pandemic. Can you give us like a little overview, overview of what the great resignation is? Sure. Of course, uh, I think you did an excellent job, Sarah, of kind of defining that in the beginning of, of it being this real mass exodus. And people are saying, well, wow, did everybody just get up one morning and decide to leave their positions. So I have a couple theories when it comes to that. Many of these people have thought about doing something different. And so what has happened during the pandemic where people were working from home or either they were furloughed, they decided that this is not the only thing that I can do. And when we all have multiple skills, we get to decide where we want to contribute those skills and what environment, what organization, and then we look at how we'll be compensated for that. So many of, many of it I would attribute to what I call the I can syndrome. They did it because they could. 
many of them were like middle managers. They had maybe um, four year master's education, not all of them, but they decided they could do something else. Um, they realized there were other opportunities and options but I think the most important thing is they realized they wanted something that was going to be more flexible, more satisfying, and disruption and crisis can bring about a level of introspection and bravery that you may not have actually had before. Can you talk to me a little bit about, you know, that bravery do you feel like it's almost people got a taste of like once everything shut down they got a taste of flexibility maybe a taste of little family time and then that helped the bravery to be like i want more of this let me do let me see if i can get this fit these fill these needs yes absolutely you know even things like particularly people and if you look at a lot of people in the um, in the major metropolitan areas, just sitting there and saying, I don't have to give two hours of my life to traffic. For example, that I'm able to work at home, I'm able to spend more time with my family, I'm able to pick my kids up from school. So it started as this major disruption and crisis but it led people to really think and dive deeper because a lot of people attach to a position and a role and they stay there. But they were forced to think about and do some things differently. And it was almost a domino effect, like, oh, wow, I can do this. Then maybe I can do that. But had they not been forced to at least start the first step, they may have never done it. And that brings up a good point, because I think even as clinicians, we can relate. Many of us never saw us doing telehealth. It was like, of course, I'm an in-office, face-to-face individual clinician. And then that crisis forced us all to do telehealth. And it opened up that I can do this, and actually I like it, and I want to do more of it. Right. Absolutely. And so it was the same for other people as well. Yeah, yeah. What do you feel like psychologically our clients are feeling emotionally that kind of motivates us to make the change? Um, a couple of things. I think psychologically people are motivated by flexibility. I think they realize, wow, I can get the same level of work done in the comfort of my own space. Um, I think particularly adults, if you look at the whole concept of adult learning and practice, adults, we like flexibility. And um, depending on the nature of the work, it may have been somewhat confining. So I think the flexibility factor has been a great motivator. For, for people and seeing that maybe that flex, they didn't have that flexibility and it could have been triggering some anxiety because they didn't feel like they had enough time to meet family needs or maybe depression because they were sad about some of these meet needs not being met and then seeking, hey, I, I can do this. I have the skill set. I was forced to use the skill set and now I want to amplify it and do more of it. Absolutely. What do you feel like for individuals that we might have sitting in our office, um, us as clinicians, 
are, are there to kind of hear, how would we be, what are some of the things that we would be able to pinpoint that say that person might be burning out and it might be time to pull out my career skill set? Well, one, one key factor is level of motivation has significantly decreased. Um, they're not as productive as they want, once were, because that's always one of the things I look at productivity. Like, are you still um, completing the number of tasks that you, you once did before? Are you completing them in an accurate way? Um, because that tends to be a great indicator. Also, their level of satisfaction has decreased. They're having anxiety regarding going to work. Um, they're not able to focus, but the key is it's starting to now impact their mental health. And that's when we're seeing the anxiety, like they are depressed. And so we know that we, we're, we've now moved into a different realm. I get what you're saying, because there's a certain measure that we might all struggle to get out of bed to go to our jobs. Um, we might all feel... Uh, um, like there's an aspect of our job that we don't like or we don't favor, favor and maybe in that one specific area we're not produ productive but or not as efficient, but we still get it done. It seems like there's a certain level of like normalcy with a job, but when it starts impacting your mental health and now we're really um, seeing some signs and symptoms of anxiety and depression, that's when it's really concerning. That's when it's really concerning, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So... You know, I think too, when we think about this problem at hand, so much is being written about teachers and the burnout that they're feeling in the classroom, you know, primarily because the pandemic has forced the, an increase of demands on them. For many teachers, they have to dedicate, and they've dedicated like a significant amount of time and money into their careers through undergraduate degrees, master's degrees, and we know that you know, they might feel stuck because they've invested all this time and money into their career fields. And, you know, I think some of the teachers were hoping that the demands were temporary, but at some point, you know, hopefully we'd get back to pre-pandemic classrooms where students weren't out for two weeks at a time and, and debates over man, uh, masks and vests scenes weren't saturating the school board, you know, and they're, they're now sometimes there's teachers in our school district that are doing both in class, you know, in-person instruction and hybrid instruction, you know, or and, um, you know, home cyber instruction, you know, there's so many different ways that the school district has tried to acclimate to COVID. And this puts a lot on teachers to not only tend to your kids in person, but also the ones online. You know, so there's so much of a change that has gone on with that career field. Um, what do you recommend for us as clinicians sitting there talking to teachers, hearing about these issues? How do we best start? Like, how do we best approach with teachers? You know, I like to start assessing to, um, of course, their stress level. Um, when I kind of see their emotions flattening out is the way I describe it, and in in a level of hopelessness. 
And so that's when I'm going into more of trying to first restore their hope, but also let this person know that they're marketable. That's when I'm going to start looking at their skills, maybe doing some sort of assessment, for example, to kind of look at skill set, look at interest. Because you're in one role, for example, if you're a teacher, it doesn't mean that's the only career that you can have. And career transition is a lot more um, feasible than people think it is. Um, we are able to actually kind of vacillate um, into different areas, but we have to be willing to explore. One of the things I always um, say is I try to use creativity. So I think a lot of it is restoring the hope, also assessing their skills to see where they are, and what they can do, assessing their interests to see what else they would like to do. So restoring the hope though is gonna entail, of course, us working through the stress and anxiety that goes along with this, and then moving into more career options. But we have to manage the stress, anxiety, or depression first. I really, I think that's important for clinicians who are listening to hear that, you know, just because a teacher is, you know, symptomatic of burnout in their job doesn't necessarily mean we jump to, um, you know, doing an assessment on their values and interests. But first, we have to kind of tend to those feelings of hopelessness and kind of, you know, work on where they're at right now before focusing in on that next step. Is that essentially what, what you're saying? Right, because we make better decisions when we're emotionally stable. And so if you're very emotional and you're stressed and you're depressed, you're less likely to make more, you know, to make the absolute best decision. And our careers is one of the most important decisions um, that we'll make in life, where you decide that you're going to contribute your skills and talent, where, where you're going to invest in yourself. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. Like, and I think hit, I love that too, hitting home on that. We make the best decisions when we're in like a stable emotional place. The other thing I want to pick up on there too is combating that, that reaction that say a teacher might have to say, you know, how do I have to go back to school to like get into another career? Um, how do we help them like navigate, you know, the cost of going back to school versus, um, being able to do it without additional education or additional, like taking out more student loans. And I think depending on what you're willing to invest um, in yourself, um, sometimes it will require a financial um, investment, sometimes a time investment. Also, it's not so much going back even getting a degree. Certifications now are very, very prevalent. For example, at community colleges, many community colleges even offer free certification programs for um, the community, people in their community, to try to find people that are employable and people who can sustain in the workforce. So there are multiple options. And so I, I ask clients, okay, what is it that you're willing to give in order to get this? And and how can we be creative with that? How can we look at the numbers and see if the investment is worth it? 
So also, I'm going to start with what they already have. So for example, they may be, I don't know, a history teacher. Well, maybe they can go work in a museum or something, for, an ex for example. So depending on what type of teacher, what other experiences they've had, they have a master's degree, maybe they can teach more and on a community college level. So it's about really being creative and thinking about what you already have first and how we can utilize that to move you in a different direction. And then we can look at what possibly you may need to add or invest in yourself. I see. So it's, it's kind of, I think sometimes we look at the financial before doing this like we use, sometimes teachers would come in, well, financially it's too much without then exploring these other interests and what that might look like. So Dr. Givens, what you're saying is let's focus in on your interests, your other areas and things that seem interesting in your career and then we'll look at the financial and commitment. And then we'll look at that. Because I, I, people tend to close doors sometimes before they're open. So let's just be creative. Let, the biggest thing I tell clients is be willing. Let's be willing and be open and we can go from there. Yeah, let's be willing, let's be open. Sometimes one of the interventions I'll use is I'll say, say I had a magic wand, like what would your career be? Just to kind of help open some of those barriers that they've put up to help knock them down. Absolutely, absolutely. Are there other fields that you are hearing the same like high level of burnout in response to the pandemic, other career fields? Absolutely. Um, one of the major ones, and I've actually taken on um, several new clients in this field is healthcare. Healthcare and also retail, but healthcare um, has probably been um, the field that's of course been impacted and these a lot of people forget about other folks in healthcare lab techs um janitors i mean other other people than direct service case management um but people in healthcare in general have been severely um impacted yeah and i think you know with with healthcare and not just thinking like doctors and nurses expanding that and looking at the lab techs that you might have in your office or um, the, the social workers that might be work, working in the healthcare system because they're all faced with this huge level of burden and the demands on them are, are certainly increased. Would you follow, follow that same model? Like, okay, let's, let's first start instilling hope. Um, and I think there's a lot of like projection, like, well, I don't know how long it's going to be like this. I really liked my job pre-pandemic. How, you know, we're, we're certainly not fortune tellers, but how do we kind of negotiate between the future of their field now versus what it was and kind of, you know, looking at the future and trying to understand where they want to be? Well, I think we have to be realistic because I'm not sure if the healthcare, like many other fields, will ever be the same. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to be very realistic. You know, also, I think we have to assess and see, is there any level of trauma? Because many of our healthcare workers will now have a, a great deal of what post-traumatic mm -hmm. stress syndrome because of this. And so I think I'd like to really deal with that. 
also let's look at your medical training and see where else you can apply that for example I have um, one a nurse that I was seeing that's no longer going to be a floor nurse but she's gonna go work at a wound clinic so the pace is much slower she still gets to work with patients but she's not dealing in this crisis of trying to manage a COVID floor and that sort of thing. Um, so again, that goes back to how do we look at our options and training and see what we can do, um, what else can we do? Because there, you know, I don't know what the future holds in terms of the pandemic or will it be another and, and healthcare. I think we, and I say we, the client, and us as individuals, we just have to empower ourselves to, to, to figure out what it is that we're willing to do in order to make sure that we have that level of satisfaction. We have to look at the variables that we can control. Those are variables that we can. Yeah. So kind of, you know, acknowledging, you know, what none of us know, what the projection is. We certainly know that healthcare is likely has some, uh, some things that will always be there that we're not going to 100% go back to pre-pandemic, but let's focus in on the things we can control versus the things we can't. Absolutely. Um, how do you as a clinician help? Okay. So let's say our client decides, okay, I'm going to switch jobs. You know, I'm thinking to, uh, to the nurse that you said that switched floors. I think sometimes there's a little bit of like a grieving process. Like we could be sad because we're going to miss our coworkers. Um, we could be anxious about starting this new job, anxious about if um, maybe doubting our capabilities. Am I going to be able to, to, to switch and maybe like that nurse, like go to the wound center? Is it going to be too slow with me for me? Um, what are some skills that we can pass on to our clients who are having anxiety about the transition into the new job? Well, I think we look at um, several mechanisms to help them more of the adjusting. Um, but one of the things that I've done too is some grief activities because it is a loss. Like you said, you're moving on, you're leaving behind maybe a position. Um, for example, the nurse I was telling you about who was in, she, she was in that position for nine years. So she's built relationships and now she's actually going to a brand new place. So we talked about grief and loss actually, but then we work through that and navigate and then we talk about what is going to be gained. The hopeful, the, the hope in this actual new position. Also facilitating strong coping skills. Coping and adjustment I think is critical. As, and I think it's up to us to help our clients facilitate the appropriate coping skills and mechanisms to adjust in new environments. Yeah, and I like how you kind of pull some of those those skills in grief counseling and helping our clients, you know, who are experiencing sadness with, you know, missing some of those colleagues and focusing in on what they can gain. It's okay to kind of be sad that you're gonna miss some of those relationships, but what do you have to gain by making this transition? Right, and to be honest, the grief counseling piece has to be a part of this whole process since the pandemic um, because everybody has lost something. So I think that's something to keep in mind for us as clinicians that we're going to have to incorporate some level of grief counseling. Yeah, absolutely. The majority of our clients go through this. 
Yeah, absolutely. Do you see any changes with individuals that are leaving high school, you know, since the pandemic and doing career counseling? I know you have a lot of experience in working with college students in this in this field, but graduating seniors in high school, graduating seniors in college, have do we as counselors have to change some career um, counseling approaches or do you notice any major changes as a result of the pandemic that has affected those going into the workforce for the first time? Right, because because of the pandemic, there are new mo work models, for example, the working from home or the hybrid model. Um, also, new jobs. I mean, students now are going to have to be, of course, we always say tech savvy, but not just computer, but looking at artificial intelligence um, and automation is going to be a big part. So there are going to be jobs um, because the majority of the jobs that we'll have in 2030 don't even exist. So we're going to have to focus as career counselors on the future of work. Um, what the nature of work, the work models are going to be like, and what jobs will be available and which jobs will not. Because that's going to be critical. Because there's several jobs, and we saw this in the pandemic, that are no, that will never come back or come back in the way that it once was. So we, we have to consider that when we're working with clients and making sure that we steer them in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like one of the one of the big industries that I feel like has changed and will forever be changed is maybe the restaurant industry. I think there's so much more of this focus in on, you know, takeout um, as a, that a restaurant may have never had that much volume of a takeout, but that's certainly now like a, an expected facet of it that the pandemic kind of forced upon all restaurants. Are there other, other industries that you feel like are forever changed now? I think the tourist um, industry uh, definitely, uh, well, I'll say tourist hospitality um, is, is changed, but probably one I will say that will have probably a longer impact is retail, okay. the way that we shop. So the brick and mortar stores, I'm just not sure how long they will sustain because we can just shop with a few clicks and it shows up at your door. So that's one of the major things. And that, that ranges from our groceries to other items that we need. So I think retail is gonna be forever impacted. Okay. So for an individual going into retail, kind of being realistic about that, you know, that your retail job as you knew it before the pandemic is going to be incredibly different now, but also this other growth and opportunities in delivery service. Um, and I've also been hearing of more opportunities in like to your technical degrees, like in HVAC or plumbing. Um, are, what are some of the other fields that you feel like are more in demand now because of the pandemic? Well, definitely feels like, well, of course, like automation, anything developing like um, the software, hardware, that's gonna help propel this whole AI and um, automation. So anything I think related or remotely related to the tech, computer, um, those types of those types of industries. Yeah, absolutely. that's that's one that's certainly not 
going to be going away anytime soon. So kind of if, if a client is looking at career jobs in the tech field, that's absolutely one that you know will is a promising future for them, especially somebody who's new and just kind of entering into the workforce. What do you think individuals have to gain by changing careers? You know, I think of one word, more satisfaction, more satisfaction. Um, and I think we sometimes don't think enough about our personal satisfaction when it comes to work. Sometimes um, we think about the nature of the work, but not the satisfaction. Also, enhance career identity because we truly identify with the work that we do. So I think those are the two major factors, career identity and career satisfaction. Yeah, you know, having that career satisfaction, having that career identity that you really feel good about. Because I have a feeling for those yes. who might be in a field where they're feeling burned out, they don't, it just doesn't feel good to have that be a part of you if they're not happy with the work that they're doing. Absolutely, absolutely. And I can certainly see, um, especially in the healthcare field, you know, you, because they're so inundated with with patients and you're, if you're not feeling good about the work that you're doing, that just really amplifies the dissatisfaction with, with the job. Right, yeah. absolutely yeah. right. With more clinicians now since the pandemic having to use career counseling interventions, what assessments and resources do you recommend, um, especially for master's level clinicians who are not like certified career counselors? What are we qualified to use and what do you recommend? And so, of course, career assessments have various levels. Um, I would say my favorite um, and it's my favorite for a couple of reasons. It's very easy. There's no major level of interpretation. And that would be ONET because it's free. Um, and you can just have the person uh, go online, take the assessment, print the results, and you go through that. And what it yields is various interests, but also jobs. Because of your interests that you indicated on the assessment, what would be some of those jobs that would be good um, for you. Um, there are a variety of career thoughts inventory and that may require a stronger skill set or knowledge base with um, career um, in, in the world of career development. Um, I like to begin with the life wheel where I assess their current satisfaction, how they feel, what they like about what they're currently doing, and then go from there. Also using a little bit of motivational interviewing to try to get some information um, from them. One of my other favorites is called the Problem Space Decision Worksheet, where you look at different interests, you draw a circle. Um, the, the size of the circle indicates your preference. And so it's a good visual. I've found that by clients seeing things um, visually, it can make a difference once they're done. Like, oh yeah, I really do want to do this. Card sorts are really easy um, for 
clinicians to use. I mean, because what the client is doing is just ranking like their level of motivation or their level of interest. And so you can get some that assess interest level, different occupations. But that would that would definitely be something very simple that you can use whether you're actually a full, a, a trained, of course, career counselor. Okay, so it sounds like it's using, using some values inventory, using card sorts and having that visual representation, you know, like you said, kind of drawing some circles and based on the size of the circle, that's what's important to you. Mm-hmm. When Absolutely. You first mentioned ONET. Can you give us the, the website? Is it O? Sure. Um, and it's easy to, um, it's the ONET Interest Profiler. Um, I believe it's ONET.com, but if you just put in ONET Interest Profiler, um, it should come right up. Perfect. And it'll take about ooh, probably 10, 15 minutes for them to complete. It's not very long and it yields a very simplistic report. And that's what I like about it as well. Is that something that you'd recommend that clinicians do with their client in, sec- in session? Or is that something that you would say, hey, for like a homework assignment? Homework assignment would probably, is what I normally do. Okay. Um, you know, I, there are a few things you can do in person. Like I said, the circle activity might be good. The card sort would be good in person. And then I use powerful questions maybe to assess motiv- motivation and interest as well. Okay. Okay. So kind of, and those would be appropriate, like within like a master's level. And for those who aren't necessarily career certified counselors, those are some really good tools and interventions that we can use. And we'll have links on the website to those as well as where you would also mentioned a worksheet. Can you tell us a little bit more about the worksheet you had said? The problem. Yes. And you can also, um, a group from actually Florida state, um, they do a lot of research on uh, career development, develop that. Um, it's called dis- dis- Decision Space uh, Worksheet. And it just, um, it helps us in making decisions by prioritizing with the circles. So you can find that online as well. And also card sorts, you can actually purchase those if you're seeing people in person and actually have them to do those. And you can just have, it's called career um, card sorts. Actually, uh, Nodell um, has several sets and it's called Nodell. Um, K-N-O-W-D-E-L-L has several card sorts. And then now they have virtual card sorts as well. So if you're working with a client virtually, that could be something um, you could have them to do as well and that's like the beautiful thing i feel like about the pandemic is now we have these resources that aren't like necessarily hard copy but we can um use like virtual aids online and those i'll all list in the show notes as well for clinicians do you feel like these interventions are appropriate across the lifespan so whether we're working with a high school student who is wanting to go um right into the workforce or a college student or somebody who's um in their 40s or 50s looking for a career change now and there are some of course you know k through 12 there are some assessments that specifically designed for them and for adults but one of the things about onet uh, like you could give that to a high school student as well as um an adult or somebody that's in transition okay okay so that's one of the ones i you know um i think are very very flexible 
with well. with helping you know across yeah. the lifespan mm-hmm. and i do absolutely yeah and i do feel like because of the increased in demands on schools and especially um school counselors i know in our area i feel like i have a lot more high school students feeling kind of without the support that they would anticipate from their guidance counselor or school counselor in their school and they're looking to us to help with helping them navigate their career. So a lot of these interventions would be appropriate. How in depth do you feel, and how much knowledge do you feel a non-certified career counselor should have in being able to help high school students kind of navigate where they wanna go next? Um, I think it's, it's important. One of the things I say is, so every school has what? Some sort of coach. Um, I, so I feel every school should have someone dedicated to career services because you're looking at preparing this kid for what they're going to do with the rest of their life. And so I think they should have some general knowledge to be able to facilitate because that, depending on the age where this kid is, they're either looking at awareness. If they're seven years old, we should really be doing career awareness at that point. And if they're older, then we're looking at what? Career exploration. Like, let's explore. Let's do some sort of internship, some sort of some sort of job shadowing. So we need someone that can dedicate themselves to that work. So that's, you know, that's always um, one of the things that I'm pushing. And we do have states, for example, North Carolina, South Carolina. There is a dedicated individual. And... In South Carolina, elementary, middle, and high school that does career development. No way. That's awesome. I know in Pennsylvania that's not a requirement, but I I like that model of having that one dedicated person, even as young as the elementary school, kind of working with the students on career exploration. And they have to go through NCDA's Facilitating Career Development Training Program. Um, That's a requirement to for those roles in those schools okay so you know that i think somebody has to have the knowledge Mm -hmm. to do this work yeah so like i said you have some sort of coach in every school yeah to help i think we need to have a career person that's dedicated to helping these kids prepare for the rest of their life i agree and i think especially for our listeners who are school counselors they're probably feeling like they have so many hats right if especially if they're not if they don't have a career coach in their school they probably feel like they have to be a little bit of the career counselor a little bit of the emotional support a little bit of the schedule a little bit of the liaison between um students and teachers and parents um and that would be one role that could be you know just the focus area of one individual just the focus area of one individual. You're exactly right. Again, we go back to the word investment. Mm -hmm. Making that type of investment in these students could yield what? A much sustainable and prepared workforce. You know, we talk often about the number of jobs available. In many cases, people aren't trained to take the job. And I think we're going to see more and more of that after this pandemic. They don't have the tech skills. Um, they don't have the, the level of training needed to do these jobs. 
Okay. Yeah. So without having that career person, we could, especially after this pandemic, really be doing our kids a disservice without having that person dedicated to kind of helping them navigate what the world's going to look like um, in the future going forward as a result of this major shift within our, our lives. Absolutely. Because who's, who's going to do it? That's the question that I always ask individuals. If it's not done... I mean, most parents, and if they were like, mine, well, go to college. Okay, what do I do when I get there? So or make sure you graduate from high school. Great, now what am I going to do after that? So if it's not done in the school, who's going to do it? Yeah. It's the question. Yeah, absolutely. Who's going to facilitate that process? Absolutely, and that, that could be like a big thing that's missing and helping these kids get successful, stable jobs after graduation, whether it be from college or high school. Right. In, because yeah. because the, the preparation should actually begin well before they graduate. Yes, absolutely. It should have started in elementary school, essentially. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. How much of it, you know, if we have a private practice, right? You have your private practice. Um, say we're not advertised as a career counselor. How often do you feel like kind of at least some talks about careers should come up in session? I think very often because, um, and I think most for most clinicians, it's really not on their radar per se. I'm dealing with stress, anxiety. But work is such a significant factor of our life. How can we not address that? Yeah. You know, and, and in most cases, it's either a strength. And in the, in the, in, when we look at the composition of the person's life, it's either a strength or it could be a variable that needs to be developed or, or a weakness, per se. So... If it's a strength, then we use that as an asset to help us through some of the other issues. Sometimes it's the work that's generating a lot of mental health issues. So we have, we can't not deal with it. Yeah, we're almost so, not treating the root of the problem if we don't identify that work could be the main catalyst for a lot of this anxiety and depression. It, it could be, or it's always going to be some sort of variable. I always say, or at some level, it could be significant to the work, the other work that we're doing with the client. Yeah, I think it could... we have to at least inquire or address, because um, career, you know, we're not satisfied with something that we're doing for 40 or 50 hours a week. What does that do to our mental health? Yes, absolutely. That's a huge chunk of our time, a huge chunk of our of our life that's dedicated to career. And if we're not keeping that in check, um, if we're not fulfilled with that, that's going to have a significant impact on our mental state. And I think, too, you know, um, you know, I, I focus in and working a lot with adolescents. And I think especially those adolescents who are in their sophomore, junior, senior year, a lot of their um, anxiety could be coming from uncertainty associated with what they're going to do after college. I think sometimes the schools focus squarely on, okay, passing these classes, um, 
focusing on scheduling for next year, getting your diploma, but some of their anxiety could be coming from, well, what do I do next after I meet these goals? What if college isn't for me? Do you see that a lot in high school students as well, anxiety associated with career? Sure, um, because, you know, it's a big milestone. They've finished school, now what? And that's what I really like about uh, schools that have strong work-based learning programs, for example, which can incorporate some sort of job shadowing, internships, because it, it gives people, you know, a strong knowledge base of what several jobs are like. When, and when I think back about my career just early on or in college, there probably would have been a lot, had I done job shadowing, mm -hmm. there probably would have been a lot of jobs that I wouldn't have taken. Um, so I think incorporating that work-based learning in these schools is very, very um, important. Yeah, and I think even if the school isn't focusing in on job shadowing, that could be something that we as counselors Yes. Um, can encourage yes. for them. And I think sometimes, especially for younger clients or older clients, sometimes that can be intimidating just to cold call and not have that, hey, I have to do this because of an assignment. Can I shadow you? But just to say, I'm interested in this field. Can I shadow you? And I feel like that's a very appropriate question to to pose to, you know, uh, especially in a field that you're interested in. Wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And you can give, so say you're seeing this 15-year-old, give them a few exercises to do. I, I want you to come back with three careers. The biggest thing, too, is I like to tell individuals, look at what the requirements are to become that person. Because you have people like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor or be a lawyer. They don't realize, for example, how long you have to go to school. So have them to do a little research and y'all talk about it um, and say, would you like to work 60, 70 hours a week as a doctor? I mean, you know, make it educate. I call that the psychoed piece, mm -hmm. informing them um, about the different career choices. And if you're working with college students, encourage them to visit their career centers. Most students don't even know where the career center is or they go to school for four years and they never visited the career centers. That's what they're there for. That's a really good point, you know, making sure that they're using the resources that might already be there. And I'm thinking even high school students too, some of them might not even realize that there is a career coach there. Um, Absolutely. So maybe even just starting with the resources that they have first in school and encouraging them to tap into some of those before you know, um, doing some things on their own. But if they don't have those resources, there are ways that they can kind of go about um, researching these careers on their own. And, and that job shadow, it seems like you feel like, and I agree, it could have a huge impact. You might think you want to go to a vet, but then you might want to be a vet. But then once you shadow the vet and say, oh, these animals aren't always happy to see me. I might have to um, do some things that I, I feel sad making that animal hurt, you know, tapping into some of those emotions. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. with NCDA, um, can you talk to us a little bit about, so say I have a listener who's like, oh, I'm, 
I love this career um, part of my job. I love career counseling. What, how does a clinician become a certified career counselor through NCDA? So a couple of ways. Um, we do have like a fast track if they graduated um, from a K-CREP um, program. And so, of course, you just you submit your information. You, it's, a, it's an application process. But we do have that fast track, um, in which a lot of counselors have taken advantage of. Um, now, and if you did not, it's, you still certainly can apply. Um, you just download and complete the coursework. I'm sorry, you download um, the application and complete the coursework ver verification form. The biggest thing that we're looking at is that you did take at least one three-hour career course and other training perhaps um, when you were in graduate school or postgraduate school. So you must have that master's, you must have completed at least that graduate course in career counseling. Um, there's also an assessment that you will take that's related to, of course, the career, you know, career counseling uh, theories, practices. Um, and then you will be um, issued your credential. Very cool. So it's and of course professional development is is actually required um, as well. Okay. So how many? So let's take me for example. So I graduated from the University of Scranton, which is K Crep accredited. All I would have to do is go online and CDA um, apply. You know, put you know, verify my coursework. I'm assuming you guys would want a transcript of some sort to verify that. And then um, the assessment. Um, is this an assessment that clinicians um, have their resources to prepare for the assessment? For We have study guides for all of our credentials. So absolutely, because you know, you may have been out of school a while and yeah. you might need to refresh on those. Okay, yeah. okay. And how about, so let's go to that place of like cost. How much would it cost to be a certified career counselor through NCDA? So the application fee is 100, 125 bucks. Okay. Um, I believe, and you have a maintenance fee every year, just like any other credentials or, or license that you may have. Okay, okay. And so say we're like, eh, I don't know if I want to be a certified career counselor. What are some resources that we can pass along to clinicians that NCDA offers? So the, the really the, I think one that would be most helpful would be our flagship training program and it's called Facilitating Career Development. And typically it's about a eight to 10 week class. Um, and when I taught it at um, the university, it went for six hours of credit. Oh, wow. Um, and so it's a 120-hour um, training program, um, various competencies. So it has theory, it has help and skills, or so a lot of the things that you're familiar with, but it has a dedicated chapter, for example, on assessments. Okay. So, which is really, really helpful, which tells you like which assessments that you're able to provide, to actually administer, which ones you're not. Um, 
that sort of thing. So that would probably be the best option. Um, like I said, in order to be a career specialist in a school, for example, North Carolina, South Carolina, you have to go through that program. The program also leads to two credentials. Um, it leads you to the Certified Career Services Professional, the CCSP, and also you can apply for the GCDF, which is a global uh, career development facilitator. Okay, with those two credentials and those two that you can add, what's the difference between the, the global certification and then the career specialist one? It's just that the CCSP is granted from the National Career Development Association and the GCDF is um, actually um, administered and managed by um, the Center for Credentialing and Education. So it's just, but, but once you complete the course, you're able to apply for either one or both, whichever your preference Okay, is. okay. So that course, can you give us a, a price point on the course that NCDA offers that can... Sure. So we have different, lots of different providers, and the course, the provider actually sets the price, and the course typically ranges from probably 1100 to maybe $1,500. Okay, okay. So it's it's as if you were going back to school and taking a course. It's like that same cost that you'd be paying for tuition, but you walk away with after that course um, getting um, additional credentials there. Well, certified. Certified. And you are prepared to apply for those additional credentials as well. Um, and you get a really, really good course book that has some good reference material that you can use beyond the class. Okay, okay. And I think that's huge to know. And um, yeah, so it's, you take the course, it'll prepare you for that assessment, and then you also have these resources that are valuable to you to have in your practice, to have on hand to pass along to, to clinicians. Absolutely. Very cool. Yes. What do you think yes. clinicians, like yeah, go ahead. And I was going to say, depending on your instructor, is like I have several resources, for example, that are within my virtual platform that my students can have access to. Can you talk to me about that? What are some examples? So it could be sample, um, for example, different links to assessments, different resource guides. It just depends on the chapter or the competency. But I, I'm big into resources. I just think we need as many as possible to do the work that we do. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And I think the more knowledge and the more access that we have, the better we can then serve our clients. Um, since the pandemic, um, with more coming out about this huge, great resignation, have you seen an upkick in people using your resources and your programs available? Absolutely. Um, you know, people are like, now is the time. Um, I want to do something different. It's interesting because I'm actually starting a new student um, this week who is a social studies teacher and wants to do more of the career, um, career counseling 
in the school versus the actual teaching. Hey, that's really cool. So, and I think this is really specific for North Carolina and South Carolina, where you mandatory have to have that career specialist at your school. So if you're in one of those areas and you have a teacher who's feeling the burnout, there's ways that they can access NCDA resources to just, it's an $1,100 commitment, it sounds like, to go through that process and take the assessment and then get credentialed. But now, because like we were saying, this whole great resignation, like this teacher is not in one of those states. Okay. So I'm seeing more, you know, people just around the country looking at this program to, to also, for example, become a career coach. Okay. Because that's an option as well, because they know that is so needed at this point in time. And they may not have, or they may have a degree in higher ed men or education. It may not even be counseling. And so a lot of people are like, I'm going to go through this program and set up my own virtual career coaching business. Ooh, I love this, Dr. Given. So, okay, for us as counselors, we can go through this process get credentialed, but even for people that we see that might be a hairstylist, but have been talking to people sitting in the chair about careers and now they want to be a, a certified career coach, they can use the NCDA resources to make that happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I encourage people um, to, to particularly go online to NCDA. Um, org and look at our credentials and, and the pricing and all that. Sometimes it's so much. I may not have said that completely correct yeah. in terms of the career. I think it's 125, but it's all well laid out, the requirements, the study guide. Um, but we have, like I said, the best resources. Our conferences are really, really, really rich. And that's where you get to network and you get to hear speakers from all over the world. Um, and just really be involved in that career development community. So consider that, of course, as well. But the training program, there's one, there, there's nothing else, to be honest, like it. That would compare, yeah. NCDA is the compare. one that you you want to go to for for more yes. information on careers. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap up our show, Dr. Givens? Um, you know, I'm the the big thing is I'm I'm really glad that someone like you who is a clinician and primarily mental health has taken this opportunity to actually do this. Um and a, and a lot of this is being done or more of it I would say because of um this whole great resignation, of course, the pandemic. So I just, you know, I have to say, if there is a silver lining to disruption, it's it's really us having this opportunity to take a fresh look at the way we mm -hmm. do things and the way we can value career services more. But also, it gives us an opportunity to really look at the future of work and also how resilient we just are as providers. Beautifully put, beautifully put. And that's exactly the reason why I wanted to have this show because we're in a moment right now where so many of our skills have been pulled that um, we might not have otherwise tapped into. And I think career is, is one of them. And so my hope is that 
in this show, there's some takeaways that you can use with your clients and sessions and also research or resources so that you can learn a little bit more. So, well, thank you so much, Dr. Givens, for coming on our show today. We'll have links online to all the resources that we talked about. Um, and for more information, go on to www.therapeuticperspective.com and we'll, we will see you all next time. If you listen to our podcast and you would like to obtain continuing education credit hours, please check out our website at therapeuticperspective.com to see if your state is eligible to receive NBCC continuing education credit hours. If your state does, you will need to go to therapeuticperspective.com and click on the show that you just listened to. From there, you will see three links to three online documents to complete. These include an attestation, quiz, and evaluation. Once we receive these documents and the continuing education credit hour fee set through our PayPal link on our website, we will send you your certificate of completion via email. If you need any help or support in the process, please email us at therapeuticperspectivepodcast at gmail.com.